0: Hi, we're the Tidy Boys, and welcome to our second in our series of Eat, Sleep, Talk, Repeat. Uh, last time we were with a, a big movie star, international movie star, and TV star, and his name was Nick Frost. Um, and during that show, a few people were mentioned. We were talking about music, and uh, one name cropped up, and we thought, we've got to get him on.
1: We've got to get him on. And his name is Kutsky, and he's here with us. Hello, how are you? How's it going? Yeah, good. It's very well, welcome to the show. I'm yeah. liking your little studio space you've got in here.
2: Doing it's relaxed, it's it is relaxed, isn't it? It's making my, you know, spare bedroom that I'm doing Twitch streams on. It's making that feel very amateur hour now.
1: I've got feel a little bit it, inadequate. It, if I'm it's w- it's work in progress to be fair. It's John. work in
0: progress. Yeah, we we built this this afternoon. Um for the people that are listening rather than watching, um we've got a, a navy blue cloth <laughs> with some polystyrene tiles and some yellow cloth and uh, it looks great on camera, but uh, in real life if you if you look
1: closely it's a bit of a mess now the concept of the show is just open mic conversational yep. um, my colleague as you'll be aware can be quite controversial I've, I've seen this firsthand on a few occasions yeah so we do want to throughout this next hour we do want to discuss a very um, interesting topic that's close to your heart Hard style. we've got into trouble before so we want to get into depth with you on that yep. also find out a little bit more about you I'd like to take you back to those early days yep. and the journey Kutsky has taken and we've got a lot of questions for you as well from uh, from the fan base so we want to know about
0: you I mean we're not going to do it as a and a because I'm sure you've got some questions for us I'm sure haven't you you must have i must totally. have. got a few you've got a few I'm sure you've got a few you want to talk about. Um, But we also want to talk about clubbing. The whole theory of this particular show was about clubbing life, some of the favourite tracks, then obviously DJing and music. Obviously, with Nick, we talked a lot about his TV and stuff. But with you, I know your other interest is gaming. I know Mm -hmm. you're a big gamer. And also, there's a couple of other interests, specialists that we'll talk about a bit later. (laughs) One of them isn't gardening. No.
1: So should we just start from the beginning a little bit should we get to know Kutsky a little bit more why don't we
0: let Kutsky John as we're going to refer to why don't we let him briefly give us a potted history of of, Mm -hmm. born in 1982 I've done the research looked on Wikipedia. Chester it's not
2: press age I thought you were going to give the the one where we shave 10 years off you know because the baby face It it does doesn't he though
1: you
0: do look young Mm -hmm. you do look young and uh, we'll talk about the secret the special cream you rub in your face later on but so let's talk way back you're born in 82, you're growing up, like us. Uh, my, my dad got me into music by playing it at home, and uh, you know the reasons we got into music, we, got, we discussed last time. Yeah. What got you into music from an early age, John?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's like, my dad was never really into music, my mum was, and I remember just like from like, you know, a proper young age, I was obsessed with a record player. You know, when you're kind of young, like you, and things are kind of, you have irrational fears. Mm-hmm. I remember the record player, I was fascinated by it, but at the same time, as you know, the way like when you got the automatic ones, where the, the arm would be going on its own and be oh, yeah. loading and doing all weird stuff, and I would kind of have nightmares about it. I still remember like it was turning on on its own and doing like strange things, but this like weird fascination with it at the same time. And then like yeah, that's like youngest real memory of music. And then um, as I got older, you know, when you kind of like, you know get into hitting about ten or something, you're all into your music with your friends. It's like I got an older sister that was into a lot of rave music things like alternate prodigy sl2 you know kind of like yeah, the yeah, really yeah. early like you know 92 rave stuff and you know i kind of like got into it from there so yeah so i've got a real like you know firm like memory of it like you know a lot of people talk about that era and they talk about you know the raves like fantasia and leaving the car on the side of the m25 stuff like that i just remember like you know jumpers for goalposts down the park and taking Cause it's that stereo interesting, down
1: because when obviously we're a little bit older than you so yeah. when i was 10 11 12 it was scar madness bad manners yeah. That's, but actually, growing up when Rave was the backdrop to your sort of younger years, yeah. quite an interesting one.
0: And also, you know, your fear of the record player. or the,
1: yeah. uh, We'd just done a, a,
0: a little bit of a documentary about Tony DeVee, and apparently when he was growing up, he was obsessed with the record player. And when he used to put a record on, you know, these box records, he used to put the record on and watch the record go around for the entire length of it. And he, he became obsessed, almost OCD, that every record he put on as a young child he would just watch it go round. Yeah. So he was obsessed with the record player. But I think that's
2: it. kind of an interesting thing about vinyl, isn't it? That it's, it feels more, I don't know, you've got some kind of more of a connection to it. Absolutely. Because you're watching it. Like I know a CD spins and you can <clears> kind of see it, but there's, there's some voodoo going on with a CD player that nobody can see. You can't see the ones and zeros, you can't see the laser. Yeah. But when you see a tiny little pin on the end of it, that you've just pulled the fluff on and you're watching it spin round and round. And you know that it's like the grooves are making the sound that you're hearing. There's something about it, even when, you know, even if you don't understand how a record player works, there's something that much more fascinating about it. It's like, I always think that it's, I don't know, it's like I still, I use um, like DVS at home, you know, for DJing Mm. and just playing. It's not because of anything that it's like, you know, I think vinyl's better. I don't want to use vinyl in a club ever again. It's terrible. It's been completely superseded with digital stuff. But if I'm just doing it at home for my own interest and my own pleasure, I don't know if it's because what I learned with, or maybe there's some kind of nostalgia attached to it. But it's just so much more fun. I found myself it's like obviously I you got into a lot of turntableism and prided myself on being quite a technical DJ. And then as things moved on, production was more important than DJ skills. And then you know, things became digital. And then, you know, I'd have a setup at home with CDs, players and MP three players. And I found that I never really practiced anymore, never really went on the decks for so fun. So
1: we'll, we'll come back to the turntableism. Yeah. So back to being ten, you've yeah. seen it's the thing that's the backdrop to you growing up. So when did you make that transition into, I want to start making music, playing music? At what age were you? It's kind of, it's weird because then from there, I got into a lot of different music as well. Like
2: I loved like um, Nirvana, you know, during the grunge explosion and like, you know, kind of Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, all of that type of stuff. So I've I've always had a really varied taste in music. I've never been a purist for anything. And then um, it was, it would have been quite a few years later. I still always kept a hand in it, but when Prodigy went from experience one of the best albums ever Jilted Generation an amazing album and then this a lot of people see as Sacrilege Fat of the Land yeah it was it was moving away from what I liked about the early rave stuff you know the kind of sampled loopy it was turning into more like proper music then rather than like rave music at that point and then it's like so I you know kind of got into all different stuff you know you've got different influences you listen to different things and then I think it was around 1996 one of my friends came around he goes i've oh, got you know so through that thing like when i said i was into bands i was into stuff like you know chemical brothers and orbital and stuff like that, you know around 1995 that type of thing but not so much like the more underground stuff and then one of my friends brought around the first bonkers album and i just mm. remember like as soon as i heard it i was like oh shit this is exactly you know when you imagine when you're yeah. how old would i have been at the time i would have been like 14 mm. <laughs> and it's yeah. like it's everything that i wanted in music that i didn't know that existed
0: but what was, it, what was it you like about... Obviously, it was hardcore, and that was probably... The 95 era was... I mean, hardcore's been popular, not popular, come back a few yeah. times. What was it that you liked about it? Well, surely, it was, was it the energy and speed?
2: Yeah. I mean, it was just like... The only way that I can describe it is like, you know, when you're a kid and if you're just eating candy floss... You know, and it's just like, it's just everything that you want. Just the, the fast pianos, the passive vocals, the energy of it. Yeah. It, it, like I said, it was because I've never really heard hardcore before. That, because yeah. my trip from Rave kind of went from, you know, Prodigy Alternate SL2 mm. to Orbital, Chemical Brothers, Left Field. So not that same direction. Though, whereas obviously it had splintered off in different ways where it had gone drum and bass. Mm. And then, you know, the happy hardcore route of like, you know, things like I would say, you know, the SMD records mm. that Slipmat did. Yeah. Well, like I say they're the first happy hardcore because that, like you know, evolved from the rave scene. The tempo went higher, and it stuck on the happier vibe. Which, and then, but that era I kind of missed because I wasn't buying records pre-internet at that age. Didn't really know know anything.
0: No, because uh, I'm a little bit older than you. <laughs> um, we were making uh, albums called "Hit the Decks" in uh, 1991 and Megabass. These were ma- these were the first sort of mashup house mixes so they were tv advertised they sold about three hundred thousand copies so you know show were, off yeah i just wanted to get that in there just drop some noise in uh, man. Just didn't, see, it, but my point was back in the which you just probably missed out of and where hardcore got to was um you do as a dj in 1989 90 91 you'd have a set and then at the end of your set you'd try and make people sweat and go mad and so these tracks the fast tracks that became hardcore and what we know and love, they started off not as novelty, yeah they were novelty tracks, they were produced with the intense it's like Tony DeVee said to me that when he did Are You Ready," it was produced purely as a track that he could play at the end of his set to say fuck off I'm out of here, bang leave you sweating and it was produced and from that one track came a genre of music like vicious circle stuff that was hoover driven so the same thing applies to hardcore when in 91, 92 when we did this album, the last three tracks went up to that crazy tempo, and they were classed as "Wow! Did you hear the last track in that mix? It was mad! It was about yeah. 170 BPM." So from there, people fell in love with that 107 BPM track. Say, "I'm going to make a track like that," and that's how the genre created. Well, I believe yeah. that's how it started. Yeah, and I, I think I should take a little bit of credit for that.
1: Andy, I think you should. So you invented uh, no. hardcore. What, so is what on saying? record?
0: No. Adam from the Tidy Boys no. invented happy hardcore. What I'm trying to say, is because people say to me, oh, who invented hard house? Who did that? Who did well, that? It was me. No, it wasn't me. But oh. what I'm saying, that's how it starts. Somebody does a track that's experimentally a bit mad and somebody else loves it and copies it and then of a sudden there's 10 tracks like that and all of a sudden there's a scene. Yeah. So when you fell in love with it in 95, 96 and the bonkers, it had come out the back of... Uh, of, of being novelty records that yeah. became and it's the same with Gabba you know I'm sure the first historic kick drum in 1989-90 in Holland somebody thought well that's a weird track why have they made that kick drum too loud and it too fast and obviously that's how scenes are created. Do you know the history of how that came about with the um, marker O'Cardapine Go on you've got a better story than me I think.
2: So yeah do you know Marco Carderpanne he went on to do marshall Masters I, I and don't, stuff and it's I like don't if know. you heard the tracks you would know yeah. them. like
0: you know like the da, 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 da,
2: da. all of that sort of stuff came from like one guy right and that was his more commercial stuff was uh, Marshall Masters, but his name's Marco Carpanne and he did a track called Pill driver I think it right. was and that was it was literally just like a nine oh nine kick drum fed through distortion delay units and it's kind of you know so it's literally all the way through it's just you know it's just like you know just playing with it on the fly live and it was like that was the track that people for so many years went back and just sampled one kick out of it it. and that was the featured kick in the track and a lot of people still use it in you know different layers of the the tracks and stuff so you're
0: pinpointing that track as the first track of gabba
2: to my knowledge, but it's even like you know I see like um, it, it pops up every now and again because it's not a big track that nobody n- many people know. But if you're really into the music, all of a sudden you'll just hear like a fill where he's twisting it, and then you'll like recognize, it, oh wow, that's that off this track. And mm. you know, there's just all the way through it. It was just like you know, it's a sampler's paradise yeah. with it. Um, but you know, there was um, I can't remember. It was some uh, really credible female techno DJ. I forget her name now, um, and because I'm not huge on techno, but yeah, she was playing at a festival recently, and then it just kind of surfaced on the. um you know, kind of Facebook timeline as you're scrolling through and she was playing it like pitched mm-hmm. down so it was like way slower. Oh, right. like, you know, And that was like the first, like, you know, we really refer to it as like, you know, Gabba, it's more like that was like the first hardcore track. Yeah. That, you know, kind of... But what
0: fascinates me, and we'll, we'll go back in time in a minute because I, I want to talk about your DMC days and the yeah. first vinyl you bought but while we're talking about Gabba, what fascinates me and upsets me a little bit, I'll be honest with you, John, is so many tracks that potentially to the untrained ear sound the same from europe so let's just say we've we've got a good idea it's a destroyed kick drum we think the fast tempo works let's make five thousand tracks like that does you being in the scene so i'm coming in from the door i'm listening play me 10 tracks am i gonna think can't quite work out or where the difference is because they are all using the same kick drum or are you going to say or to is me, he
1: being naive about that or I, I
0: think man? you're Educating, being right
2: <laughs> you, you have a point from an outside perspective looking in and the easiest way that I could explain you know there's like subtle differences you know when you're really into something you mm. can appreciate subtle differences yeah. but at the same time you know your kick drum is your momentum that's carrying you through the track mm. So you could say that, you know, if it's the same in every track, that all tracks sound the same. But, you know, the Alpha Juno synth mm, and, you mm. know, the What The
1: mm.
2: preset.
0: Yeah, the, the, the Hoover. Yeah, the yeah, Hoover. Yeah. That's my point. Yeah,
2: yeah it's so like, you know, all only hard, name. you know, you could say that hard house tracks were all just using that one preset over and over again. But
0: then I would counterclaim that and say, I don't think you can think of more than 32 that have got Hoover in it that are, that are relevant, whereas I think I can... I, I, from what I've been listening to it for a long time, because don't forget, I had Gabba tracks in my hand and, uh, in 91, thinking, what's going on? I actually liked them in, in the early days, because, again, they were, like, fresh and novel. But now in 2018, when I hear them, I think, is that the same kick drum? Yes, it is. Go on, John, and it. What what it is, is I know, Challenge that, him. I know there's subtleties, and <laughs> yeah. if you look at House, they're all using a expansion of the 909 everybody's house music was built on the 808 and the 909 but like Baby Doc he told me that when he created his sound he used eight different 909s to create a unique kick drum for Baby Doc right now if I was producing Gabba I'd say don't waste your time on them eight kick drums Use the one they've all been using for ages. It works. But the thing is, is, it's the evolution of the kick drum. It's like I said that originally when it
2: started off with the Marco Cardopane track and people were kind of sampling that and then people would distort a uh, 909 and that was an easy way to kind of get it. But then it's like, if you've seen the process of like, you know, when they're making hardcore kicks now, and it's kind of like the like attention to detail of like, you know, using different synth patches, distortions, guitar mm. things, bouncing them to audio, editing them. And there is like, there's a subtle thing. So it's like, I know we know it as soon as I started trying to produce it and people are just like, oh, it's, you, know, you just distort a 909. And that's like a hardstyle kick or a Gabba kick. And it's like, you try doing it. And then the difference between you playing a track that's got the energy in a club and hasn't got the energy in a club Mm.
1: even so, though they so might if, sound yeah.
2: the same there's like this sonic level of detail I think this
1: is the point you see so you know hard house, hard trance and as an A&R man someone who's choosing tracks for our labels you can just pick out the subtle differences differences mm. of a good hard house track the pioneer, the connoisseur of hard style, hardcore you will see the differences yeah whereas I mean, we won't
2: it's, yeah it's like I understand it, but then I understand that like all dance music sounds the same to, you know, somebody that likes country and Western music. Of course but it's, does. it's just all, n-ts, n-ts, mm. you know, everything they'll, they'll hear EDM, they'll hear Hard House from 15 years ago or today. And it's just, it's all just sounds the same. And they're like, it's got the same structure. You know, I like, imagine for a band, like a drummer, you know, that's, you know, trying to play in a funky mm. yeah. groove and they're going, well, that stuff, it's all just done, dun dun
0: dun. It's all just four, four. Yeah, I think what it is is because I listen to other genres of music as well—trance and hard house and, and hardcore drum and bass. All I've listened, obviously, being fifty-three, there it's on record. Uh, being fifty-three, I've had a wide variety of music. I think the thing with Gabba, stroke hard style, but not so much because it's got. A, I think the thing with Gabba that always got me wound up was. No matter how you try to put them little nuances in it's still a big distorted kick drum.
2: It's ca- Yeah, you'd just have to listen. I could play you some stuff now. It's like I was just listening can't to a get new past track. It, John. Can't I can't was get past just it. listening to a track by Mad Dog, um, like a big guy in um, from Italy, and his productions are like, you know, among the best, and it's like... And I was like listening to it, and it's just the way that... And it was almost like it was another you could tell it was that on that more of it than having big melodies and a big breakdown. It was more like a progressive, like the kick drum was changing throughout the track and it just kept the energy up with the Mm. subtle differences. And the other thing is, is it's like I was in the studio um, years ago with a guy called the technoist, um, Mike. And he's um, does like, you know, kind of break course stuff. Mm. And that's like, you know, real extreme fringe music, distorted, you know, like aim and drums, rapid fire, loads of tiny little fills. And it sounds like so messy and crazy. And it's like, you know, it's, well, that's gone to the point, you know, same with all music, that you get the super mainstream stuff that's easy to digest. And then on that, you've got the extreme where it's like, you you take one step to the underground and then another step further and yeah. another step further and it's almost like fetish fetishism mm. of music yeah. where it, you know it gets really kind of crazy but then it's like to me I was like I loved it because I was just fascinated by this music but I kind of thought it was just like randomly mashed up breakbeats you know in yeah. using glitch or something I, mean, I,
1: I was listening to your latest podcast mm. and you had a guest mix on was it Destructive Tendencies yeah that's fast, 200 yeah. beats a minute. Yeah. I mean, where are we on the spectrum there? Are we at this sort of... So
2: with, yeah, I mean, that's like the upper limit with it. I mean, it's just like what I was saying about the, the Technoist guys, like when, you know, it's so noisy music and it's so fast that you tend to think there's no sense in it. Yeah. But then it's like when I was in the studio with the Technoist, he was going, it's like a real, like, not like a dangerous game, but he goes, it's really important that you're playing with such fast tempos and such, um, you know, kind of extreme frequencies of distortion. He'd go through all his little sounds that he was making and then he'd like, um, you know, like kind of like spike up a frequency and move through the frequency scale of, some, of a sound and find something that really hurt you, you know, and he kind of go, like, ah, and it catches that one frequency. It's like, cool, that's one frequency, duck it out. And then go through and do everything on that track, subtractive EQing, mm. to take out the frequencies that make it fatiguing on the ear so that you can listen to it through a substantial amount of time without it becoming tiring on the ear, as if you just listen to straight, distorted sounds.
0: Has he got OCD? He got I'd
2: imagine he has to be able to work on that and the level. other thing
0: is uh, after he spent all that time you know having a distorted kick drum that doesn't sound like other distorted kick drums by altering the frequencies some idiot all play a 192k uh, shit mp3 through a bad sound system in a barn in Holland and he feels like he's wasted his day but he doesn't
2: because that track could have been played at climax on the best sound system you've heard in the war- world to like 30,000 people with the most amazing production. But I think when
0: you get 30,000 30, people with an amazing production, when you're at the back, it still does sound shit. But that's my, I'm going to talk about festivals because I'm the type of person that doesn't like tents, grass, mud, rain, or music put
1: together in the same sentence. Um, just help me because I'm not as wise as you well, or no. opinionated to be fair. No. Uh, Hardcore Hardstyle Gabba Yeah Talk to me about the audience UK Hardstyle Because the stuff I was listening to On your podcast Is so The Destructive Tendencies guys Yeah Would you play that in the UK Or is that very much a Dutch or It's a-
2: it's It's got a following I mean it's definitely Like that's Like we always refer to You know Gabba as Gabba it's not really gabba I think I don't know the history of this you'd have to ask a dutch person but a gabba was the person that went to the event like a raver uh-huh. the style of music's hardcore their hardcore was different right. than ours so Got it's you. kind of a it's like a, like you know when we refer it's you know in different countries people labeled music differently mm. yep. so it's like we say like you know like you know you might hear somebody in australia saying uk hard house yeah. And, you know, UK hard house has become a pretty universal term. But we call hardcore, when you say hardcore, you think of Hixie, Darren Styles. Yes. Mm. Yeah. In Holland, they think of Paul Elstack and Neophyte, who we say, uh, Gabba. But then it's like, then we say, well, it's hardcore. It's like, well, what, he's like, well, what you do isn't hardcore. That's happy hardcore. <laughs> right. And then, but people in the UK scene didn't like the term happy hardcore. So they started defining it as UK hardcore. And then you end up with this, And but in America, they still call it happy hardcore. Well, they're yeah. referring to the genre, not the country that it came from. And you end up with this whole wow. mess of genres.
1: Yeah. It's a hard style, where does that fit in this ha- hardcore? So
2: this is quite an interesting debate because I always think of hard dance being a good term to refer to everything. Yes. Like, you know, kind of like, so it's all under one umbrella. You've got house music. Yeah. You've got trance. You've got techno. You've got hard yeah. dance. Covers everything. Blanket term. But everybody's got the different definition. Like, I remember it's like, like I love him to bits, like a really good friend, you know, DJ Isaac, mm. like legend in the Dutch scene. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I think that, you know, hard dance is a great term to use to encapsulate as everything. But not hardstyle, that's something separate. And the way that he sees it is, and, you know, if you look at the roots of where hardstyle was, it did kind of like come from like an evolution of, I mean, I've heard so many different stories from people over there. I've like people saying that it comes from like, you know, like a harder end of techno. Yeah. Because if you listen to early hardstyle records... There's no craziness, and it's like it's it wasn't even reverse bass. It was more like just this sub bass, and it was quite minimal music. If you listen to stuff like you know, like the early techno boy tracks, yeah, and they're really these cool groovy seven minute progressive, you know, kind of like building okay. tracks. It's an education.
0: But it, it, it's right going back to what you said when you speak to somebody from Holland, what they think of UK hard dance and stuff like that. They've all got their opinions on different different territories. It's like if you go to Holland, they think Tom Hardin's big.
2: Well that's the thing is because I never really oh, I always thought
0: it. Tom Harding was Dutch
2: no. because that was, that was the thing is because it's like cause I only ever heard people in Holland in hard House talk about Tom Harding but when I was just getting into the scene like you know as we were talking about my path for music it was around the late 90s it's like I think the UK hardcore scene started to get a little bit stale and I was trying to find something to kind of I didn't know where I, I was like you know what's next around like nineteen ninety eight and I can still like pinpoint the moment it's, I was listening to a lot of Garage at the time as well because a lot of Garage got um super I don't know if you remember stuff like Bass Lick and Oxide and Neutrino mm. around that time. Yeah. And it was going like a lot like the more underground rave scene in nineteen ninety two. So I was thinking well maybe this is like an avenue that I want to explore with music. And then I heard Billy Daniel Bunter yeah. at Helter Skelter Energy ninety eight playing a set of techno or what I thought was techno at the time. which was actually hard house and he was playing he started with Tony De Are You Already played the remix of Ed Real Easy on the Cut played Cortina music is moving and all these tracks and that that to me I was just like this is like I've I'm always like you know, like I said I'm not a music purist I don't like being defined as one style cuz I'm always evolving and finding new things that excite me and incorporating it into what I do yep. and stuff and that was just the moment that I was like wow like what are these records like where are they coming from and stuff and that's why I, and then from then it's like you know kind of Billy Bunter was like you know super because he was bridging the gap between the two
0: scenes, you know, what him and John Doe were doing back then. But it's funny you should say about hard dance and hard house, because the people say, where did it come from? Um, And we have this debate on a live chat. Basically, hard house, the term hard house, uh, we use first as a... We had Tidy Tracks, and we went to Medem, which is the exhibition in France, and we had to come up with a term that summed up our music, Tidy Tracks. And we hadn't branded it. You'd got hard bag, or something weird. Yeah, I've that. heard that term. Yeah. I've never, really, yeah, never really got where they were going bag. with that. Like. So we yeah. just said, what What are we doing? And we just said, well, we're doing house that's harder. So we just put us a strapline for the UK's finest hard house. And then we, we were at Music Factory at the time, and we sort of, I think they went down the routes of sort of... Um, adopting that name for commercial release so we we were the only people that could use that term on commercial albums nucleus at the time wanted to think use hard house and they were the first people as far as i'm aware commercially to use the term hard dance because they couldn't use hard house because tidy were using it so nucleus used there and and that's where hard dance come now when you mentioned about hard dance the funny thing is we about three years ago tried to do what you suggested which is hard dance is a good term for all things hard hard funk hard trance hardcore hard house hard style why don't we call it we were listening to the americans when they went all edm why don't we call it hdm which is hard dance music which was an abbreviation like they did with electronic dance music but nobody liked it they said it was shit nobody caught on to hdm
2: i think the problem with that is whenever you try and like even though it was a general term whenever you try and re- introduce another genre mm. now, people have got like genre fatigue. And then yeah. the other thing is, is, that was around the time that EDM was a super evil word. Yes. And it's like, it's almost like you're trying to turn people's, and you know, our scene is kind of a counterculture to the mainstream. And then all of a sudden you're trying to jump on the mainstream term and fit in with that group of people. Yeah, it was and too contrived,
0: it was too forced. But to, I'll be honest with you, John, I'm gonna lay my cards on the table. EDM for me is a shit term and it always has been and I, I say why because of what it says electronic dance music and I've grew up through the 60s, 70s, 80s not knowing any other dance music that really wasn't or had some electronic involvement yeah so but you understand where it came from though isn't all, electro, all, isn't all dance music let's go back to when we call dance music even disco and Jean, uh, Giorgio Moroder isn't and back to the Moog synthesizer in the late 70s, and craft work, isn't all music. It's a flippant term to say, oh, it's electronic.
2: Yeah, but then that's completely missing the point of where it came from because it's an American term, and when you think the Americans didn't have any of that, really. They invented the house, for God's sake. Yeah, but they were... Chicago house. If you look at at what was popular at a commercial level, it was R&B, hip-hop, and country and western, and they were both music that people go out and dance to. Yes. in the clubs. And then all of a sudden it was like the mainstream European dance music, like, you know, like things like Tomorrowland had started to blow up. Cause it's like, cause I've been playing in America since like probably about 2000 and it was always there, but it was underground raves. You never had the EDC level huge thing. So when it went to the mainstream and then all of a sudden it's getting mainstream daytime radio play, they were like, it's electronic dance music, EDM. See. So to us it's a very,
0: it's a a very obvious
2: redundant term, but for them it was the best cause they just saw hard style. And Dead Mouse is the same music. It's all electronic dance music. Hip hop is electronic
0: group. dance music. Well, they're using drum machines oh, was for God's covered, sake. Coming from ground right, ears. I'm going to do a hip hop track, and I'm not going to plug a drum machine in. We're going to do it acoustically, as in what? sampled breaks. Yeah. So it doesn't work. So hip hop, electronic, electro in the <laughs> mainstream, electronic shit. All of a sudden every Billy G Michael Jackson did he use a drum machine? Yes he did. Shit that was electronic. Did it get to number one Thriller. Let's let's look at shit. Most of Thriller was actually performed with electronic devices. We've got it one. Well wrong, if you're listening John. to We've any music it through a radio it's electronic w- music cuz yes. it's coming through electric. Exactly and that's my point. You <laughs> happy about EDM yeah. Term. Anyway, I don't want it. Let's go back to you being no pubic hair and you, you're getting into vinyl and all of a sudden you want to mix it and eventually get into DMC mix Championship. So what's your first vinyl you bought? What's the first two records you're mixing together? So
2: like, I originally wanted to become a DJ because it's like I'd had keyboards when I was younger, you know, like a Casio keyboard or yeah. something, and I couldn't play the piano for shit. I hadn't got a clue, nobody could teach me, never had any lessons, just didn't know what to do with it other than press demo and make the motorbike noise over the top, you know, like most people do. And then it's like, then all I saw this thing was like DJing and it's like, I was obsessed with finding the music And then I'd be, you know, I'd listen to like Hicksy tapes. I didn't understand what was going on. I thought it was just some big thing that he'd made, like a 30 minute thing that he'd made on one side of the tape. Then I'd start to hear them tracks in other ones. And then it's like, then I understood that it was a DJ that was playing the records and fading one into the other. So I'm like, right, okay, DJ, this is what I want to do. Not like making music or playing music. I want to be a DJ. That's what, like you know, kind of like it was with it. And then I did like Hixie mix on Bonkers One was like you know, like I said, it was my first point. So I went and bought a Technics turntable. And when I say a Technics turntable, I don't mean a twelve ten. I mean a thirty pound Technics second hand silver record player. Belt driven. You know it, man, all the way. That was the way. No pitch control on it. Like you know, it, was, it yeah. was a record player. And then, but then that gave me the gateway to go to the record shop to buy the vinyls. Yep. Mm. And then I was buying the vinyls and I was like thinking, but then what do you do? And at the time my dad had like a little um PC speaker that went underneath the monitor and you had two inputs on it, input A and input B, and there was a knob that you, know, you could twist between the two and it faded. So it was like so I was like, this is like this must be what people are using for mixing between it. So I bust out my Technics Discman on one channel, yes, record yes, yes. player on the other, fading between, and I'm like it's not as hard, man. All these people are making, like, you know, they're dead, like, famous from it, and I'm doing it at home, and I'm making me mixtapes, you know, kind of like recording out of it and um, stuff. Like, and it was, you know, kind of, I, was, I genuinely thought I was doing what everyone else was doing, and I was like, it's kind of expensive buying these vinyls though. When you can just buy a compilation CD and just, like, you know, like a mix CD and just play track fifteen and fade into it, I was like, get loads on them. Yeah. and they're faster too because I didn't know people were pitching them up mm-hmm. and um, it was, there was like one moment that it's like I was just messing around like at home and I thought well theirs sounded a little bit more like I don't know I couldn't put my finger on it theirs sounded better than mine but I didn't really know why and then randomly I was doing it I plugged it in you know everyone was out of my house so I plugged it into my mum's hi-fi like and I'm there like going from one to the other and they would randomly in time and I was like oh it was that light bulb moment and I was like I need a record player with a pitch control and then I can change the speed of the record to match it into Brilliant. the CD. Mm. I was like, "That's it." So then it's like, so then I had to save up my pocket money to buy one belt drive turntable that had a pitch control. And it's like that took me God knows how long from paper arm money. And then it's like, and then I'd play a mix CD and then just try and mix a vinyl into it.
0: Brilliant. That's what you do. And
2: then stop and then do it again. Pick another track and then try and mix a vinyl into it. And then like, and then I was thinking to myself, I was thinking, as soon as I get that other deck. I'm home free. Eh? You're away. I can just like, it's like, you know, instead of doing this step, step, I'm going to be running. I can go backwards, Brilliant. forwards, backwards, forwards. And it's like, when I got that second turntable, I remember sitting on the floor in my bedroom, just thinking, this is it now, this is it.
1: And but how old were you then? 14, 14 stuff, I think,
0: right, yeah. Okay, yeah. How you know I started, you know where I started. I didn't start with the decks. Um, I started trying to be a mega mixer, uh, a bit like my friend who was Jive Bunny. Um, and what I used to do is, I think we all did this, we had cassettes, so you record a bit of the track, pause it record it and you do these stutter breaks so you would sort of you were uh, it was an early way to blade tracks together so in the old days we used to splice it but because we hadn't got reel-to-reels and all that equipment and that money when i was a young kid i'd do it with two tape decks and put the record on and at the first bars pause put the record back pause so you'd extend so we were making extended versions of seven inch tracks Uh, on cassette. So that's how I started Uh, and I didn't get my first 12. I went and got a bank loan for, well my wife did because I got turned down, Uh, in 1989 for £5,000 I bought some Dex, Fostec Mixer, Akai S950. You at this point, this is 89, he's had three number ones. Three number ones. Thank you very much. I'm just giving you, I'm picking you up here. Yeah. So while you were probably 89, you hadn't really discovered the, uh, the mixing. Yep. I just bought my first bit of kit, he's I was on top of the box with yeah. To... Yeah.
1: I was splicing beats together on a, on a reel-to-reel 2-track, yeah. running them down onto a 24-track and then mixing tracks over the top and then editing the best bits together. Yeah. That's how we made the Jai records and had a three-second sample keyboard. It was a Korg DSS-1 and just doing all the work, work, work bits and yeah. just recording it all live and then chopping it back together again yeah it's fascinating with stuff
2: like that because it's like i still say to this day i mean i've started at the moment it's like like what i've been doing like production wise is really limiting myself back down because i'm super i'm just like listening to loads of rave music again and it's making me really happy so I've kind of like I'm writing what like you know my current sound it's like you know within the Dutch scene it's not really hard style they're calling it like freestyle now, let's not get caught up in genres, but <laughs> it's kind of like I'm limiting myself like we know with tracks I'm using like kind of like binary voice core game one pianos, and I've got um like we're talking about the um The Alpha Juno and stuff, Mm. and you know, kind of like going back to you know, all the synths that we used in raves, and then obviously filling them out and layering them up with more modern stuff. But it's like there's something about you know, working within limitations that makes the creativity that much. But I don't know whether it's how my brain works, but no. it's like I've got like friends that are like, you know can sit there and sound design, craft sounds from the ground up. It's like, I don't think I'm a musician. I'm a producer that's that I'm a DJ that produces. Yes. So I always need influence, outside influence. And if I have constraints around me, it's much easier for me to make something if I've
0: got a limited tool set than it is. Well, those rave tracks that you're trying to emulate, we, as well as Jive Bunny, used to make those rave tracks in 1990. So we know how they're achieved. And you hit the nail on the head limitation so we would got a stereo akai sampler that originally only had 16 seconds stereo and what you do is they use the atari 1040 sequencer and so you've got the and probably one uh, an sh09 that's midded up to keep in sync and basically you know that you've got to try and make this track with 32 seconds of stereo. So that's why all the rave sounds are very short, the samples are just repeating themselves. It's because we didn't have the technology. And when you finished a track, you had about 37 floppy disks to save it on. You had no total recall. So if it sounded crap when you got in the car, you had to live with it. So all these limitations made that sound what it is today. Now you looking back, it's really interesting from us creating those tracks that you now probably listen to and try and probably, oh, I love the way that went. I guarantee you, the most most of the time it went that way, because it had to go that way, or it was a mistake.
2: Yeah, yeah, happy accident with stuff. I mean, it's like I've I've gone through a stage of just kind of like you know really trying to research back how people did stuff and why they did stuff, and it was like you know like the classic prodigy stabs, like you know like everybody in the place, Mm. and it's like and I randomly found a thing that showed you know how you make that sound, and it was like a really cheap, just basically get any cheap synth guitar like electric guitar fuzzy distorted electric guitar and it showed there was like you know a certain chord that you play and then you add the note from the bottom at the top and then so you play like this really big chord play it in and then chop off the beginning so you get the hard attack on it and then that's it and then then as soon as you hear it you're like wow yeah it's kind of like it's it's eerie and then I was like okay I'm going to try doing that so I just went into Ableton and found the cheapest Sounding guitar that I could do, did it on that? And it sounded different than what it was because obviously it's not the same sample, mm. but it definitely had that sound to it. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, it's just, it's like, well, it's fascinating. It
0: with the Akai, I mean, we're talking very technically, right? People are. It's interesting into- stuff. Okay. Well, it really is. What we used to do with the Akai, to get that sound, we'd put a, say, take an erasure track, you'd sample 32 seconds of it, you'd play a mad riff, and then what you'd do through the Akai, you'd scroll through microseconds of that yeah. erasure track, and then all of a sudden there'd be one note that's a chord that have a mad sound, and it would sound like Artemisia bits and pieces. Yeah. Now, if you listen to Artemisia, that one note, it's just some mad record from patrick prince past he sampled a millisecond in a sampler played it up the keyboard where you shouldn't because it sounds silly going up there yeah made a, a very childish riff put a big kick drum behind it and created a monster of an anthem and like i said it was because he didn't have much sample time um and that's the way it's done a happy accident scrolling through another record sampling a microsecond of a chord from an erasure track or something and that's how it works it's amazing before you
1: to get too geeky (laughs) yeah
0: we are getting too (laughs) geeky if you've just tuned in we're talking about synth sounds we're gonna we're gonna make it a little bit more light-hearted now and we're gonna start to talk about your home life and uh, (laughs) (laughs) I had a friend who said I love music I had a uh, my mum and dad had had a radio in every room awful statement isn't it it's a terrible statement but we, we know you got into music when you were 14 and I want to I'm trying to veer towards the disco mix club so you've got your decks you've you've started to mix them together how on earth did you get to being in the world mixing championship within what age were you you were only young weren't you, when you got- I've never been in the DMC <laughs> No. no. <laughs> right. <laughs> You've never I used to do
1: a lot of DJ competitions and I was like obsessed ah. with it. Yeah. You've never entered. If you're thinking of the other no, guy No, no, not no, not
0: Swift. No, no. You're thinking of no, Cupmaster no. Swift. No, no, I'm not. I'm Dr. You were
1: adamant that yeah. Kutsky, you said to me he won. Somebody. The World Mixing <laughs> Championship. <laughs> no, he's, a, mate, he's looking at you going, what are you I'm talking speaking to about? Myself,
2: I'm just thinking if I run with this,
1: I could. No, yeah. seriously, no, I'm holding
0: your arm. Uh, you know, listen. Somebody told me this, and I—I I, I tell you who told me. I think it was somebody at DMC. Remember Guy Garrett? Yeah, yeah. he was—he used to work for us. He said to me on a on a night out, you know Kutsky, because we'd sign your track Nightmare Man. Yeah, right. We'll talk the about first that first hard man. style track. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. He said, you know your Kutsky Nightmare. He was in the Disco Mix Championship and it's always stable. All
1: right, so let's let's backtrack. So, so you didn't,
0: so can you just clear we up? Can, yeah,
2: I didn't, but we can actually tie that in that it's like a lot of people always ask me where the name Kutsky came from. And so I was like always obsessed with, you know, kind of like the whole DMC culture of DJing. Yep. Just to stitch that into how that came from hardcore, it's like I heard like Hixie scratching in sets. And for me, it was like the mixing was like playing rhythm guitar. Scratching was like the solo. and I was like that you know and bearing in mind that I know when you're in a club it doesn't have the same impact it's different but I'm no exposure to the dance music scene I'm just listening to someone doing something cool over the top of the record thinking wow then I saw DJ Psy start scratching and stuff and I'm like wow you know like it's getting you know like nobody's better than Psy Psy and DJ Hype drum and bass DJ no one's better than these guys turned on MTV one day and saw the DMC Championship and I'm like oh shit somebody's taking it to the next level here and then so then I got obsessed with um, DMC which really started my love for hip hop. Then, you know, cause it's like, then I started yep. to understand the records that they were using yep. and what they were doing and why they were doing what they were doing. And um, around that time, it's like, you know, I'm still DJ John, the most imaginative name, you know, DJ when, I'm, John. Yeah, when I'm like- <laughs> I like
1: that. And when were I, you playing as DJ
2: John? No, this is pre-playing. This is like oh, when I'm like 14 oh, and I'm Shay, making mixtapes. And, and yeah, and so then I'm, um, so I'm, you know, kind of like- <laughs> I like that
1: DJ John. <laughs>
2: see now it's kind of got like a bit of a ring to it hasn't it but i remember back then i remember a guy in the record shop saying goon you need to change your name
1: man <laughs> oh you were putting yourself out there I'm well DJ i was just John.
2: giving it to a guy in the record shop and he's like yeah cool cool mix man but you need to spend more time on your dj skills less time on the artwork for it and change your dj name so yeah advice. So valid advice i guess um so yeah so it's kind of at that point you know i'm really heavily influenced by people like you know Mixmaster mike from the beastie mm. boys yeah, yeah and uh, and everyone had names like that and a guy called cutmaster swift mm. ah see here's the problem Go Here's ahead. the problem carry, the, on, the UK, carry on the uk dmc champion in 1989
0: yeah well chad yeah. jackson did it in 86 and yeah, uh, yeah and i think it was, he was a, yeah it was, it, was, it was a few years after yeah. that
2: like and that yeah cash money 88 i think yeah. um yeah so then it's like cutmaster swift so i called myself cutmaster j j for john and of course, so Cutmaster, Cutmaster with a K because I wanted it to look different so it wasn't too close to it. So I was writing Cutmaster J, which is possibly the worst DJ name that you could have had. That's what's going on, all the stuff. So then I'm like, you are know, getting to the point there where I'm starting to play in a local bar in Chester that I'd like, it was like open DJ night, Thursday night, nobody was in, let all the scally DJs come down, they'll bring their mates, get yeah. a busy bar. And it's like, when I was playing, there was a guy that was like running club events in Chester, and he was like, you're really good actually um I might book you for one of my events. What's your DJ name? And I'm like, yeah, it's Cutmaster J. And he's like, okay, cool. This is in the days of, you know, the old Nokia phones yeah. when you couldn't fit Cutmaster J in there. So then he just goes, Oh, I'll put Kutsky. He goes, Oh Kutsky, you know, because that's what fit. Beautiful. Then he then I played his like, you know, bar club thing, whatever. Played in there and it was the first time my name had ever been on a flyer. And he put Kutsky because that was what was saved in his phone and I'm thinking this could be the only time that I ever get to play outside of my bedroom so I'm going to have to adapt <laughs> it to have to move on the fly so I'm, so from then on I'm Kutsky I
0: love what? that story and James Deacon I'm looking at some of the questions that we're going to go through on social media James Deacon was why is he called Kutsky so you've answered that I actually uh, Nick Frost on the last show I texted him to say and said we've got Kutsky on the show have you got a question for him and he came back with a terrible terrible question and I'm going to read it to you because I don't think it's funny uh, he's a funny man isn't he Uh, but I think this was a poor question and you've probably heard it a million times before have you ever cut a ski
2: no I wouldn't even know where it's to begin it's a terrible question isn't
0: it it is Nick uh, and I apologise for
1: that have you ever cut a skeet? But I think it's I, I feel
2: like I should make a story about it now like, like elaborate a little yeah, bit I think but you I've should. got nothing I think you, you should see, DJ are, John
1: see with regards to DJ names our DJ name came about in a similar way because we were the untidy DJs we were not the tidy boys when we started playing it was Madders at Sunday Essential that christened us the tidy boys he would say the Tidy Boys are here, and that stuck, rather than the Untidy DJs. Yeah, we uh, and looking back,
0: Untidy DJs, Again, I think Tidy Boys is a better name. But so. do you think
2: with things like that, though, it's almost like, you know, like when fighters have nicknames, and it's like the cardinal sin that you can't give yourself a name, this is true.
0: Yeah, I mean, I used to be called Donkey at school. <laughs> Um, I think that could have worked. DJ Donkey. Donkey. But that was only in later life, when you know, in the showers. uh, BK, who usually is funny and intelligent, he's got a shit question. Uh, We know he can cut, but can he ski? Now, that's terrible.
2: Can you imagine me skiing? I don't know if it's like it comes across well, but it's like I'm kind of that uncoordinated, gangly, not quite... Right, safe on his feet type person. If I ski,
1: I'm definitely gonna get a broken arm. I'm mean, imagining you're a skateboarder though, with the hip hop, no? No.
0: Mm. Any sport at all? No. Could no. I
1: mean, it's like I played basketball and
2: football with my friends and stuff, but not at like a competitive level. Who do you support? The mighty Leeds United.
1: Oh. You know Same.
0: Good we go. man. And he's Top from, of the
1: table. He's yeah.
0: got a Liverpoolian accent.
1: Why Leeds United? If you live over that way, Dad's side of the family's from Leeds. Good. Man. So I'd have been, I'd have been punished as a small child if I didn't follow See? suit. Wow. Yeah, I forgot you're a Leeds fan. Yeah, that's cheered you up, in it? Oh, yeah. pick me up. We'll be talking more offline. Yeah. Are you it. going up this season? And that's absolutely. What, yeah. Is it this this season? Big I game so. on Friday. Big game on Friday. Where are you? in Sheffield, the League. Sheffield Wednesday away. We're you're top at top of the table, Amadeus. Yep. Oh. Top of we'd the be, table. We'd be we'd be able to have a
2: little bit more of a confident conversation if this was last week,
0: but. Yeah. I'm going to just say again because I'm old when I was uh, in 1973 I was a Leeds United fan and I got all the kit and I supported them right up until 76 when Liverpool became successful and I supported them Shocking. I always supported the team that was the top of the league but you do as a child didn't you uh,
1: but I did so, I'd have been beaten <laughs> so the name Kutsky lovely yeah, story that. Yep, First lovely gig. story DJ John how did it go from there uh,
2: from there, it was, yeah, it was a case of just um, sending out, prom- I mean, all I was doing is I was going to the record shop every week, and I was picking up the flyers, I was calling the numbers on the back of the flyers and going, can I send you a demo tape, sending demo tapes, and then deep, then like, it, this was around like, you know, kind of like 98 to 99, yeah. and that was around then that the whole DJ culture was exploding. So there's a lot more opportunities then at that point. And this is when it's like, you know, with hardcore, I've been sending them to, you know, calling up the back of Helter Skelter, not obviously now we know what we know about the industry. They don't go, wow, this kid's really good at mixing. Let's book him for Helter Skelter. It's not how the scene works, unfortunately. But um, around that time, I was really getting into Hard House and Hard House was kind of like exploding around that time as well, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And um, and there was a lot more kind of like opportunities that I was finding with that, and um, so and there was a lot of DJ competitions that were starting because more people were aspiring DJs, and I won two competitions. One was the Elevate competition in North Wales. I don't know if you remember the club Elevate at Bangor yeah, I yeah, University. I do, yeah. yeah. So I won the competition there, played the main event that they did in Bangor, and then as that went well, I got a residency from there, and then from there I was like the resident at Elevate, so I was picking up. Bookings along the North Welsh coast, and at the same time, I won the Four Clubbers DJ competition. The Four Clubbers, oh, I do remember, yeah. And then that led to me winning a set at Base on a Wednesday night, which then turned into a monthly residency as well. Which then led to me getting a lot of bookings in the um, kind of like Leeds, you know, Wakefield area. Sheffield and stuff like that so that was really where I kind of like you know started actually DJing when I was like you know playing out a lot would have been in the early 2000s like you know in along the which was I think that was what taught me how to adapt as a DJ because I was always like I didn't want the obvious stuff because I'd heard it so many times I wanted to hear the b-side the interesting side of the record that you'd heard a thousand times yes but then it's kind of like when you were playing in North Wales it was way underground there you know it's like you know kind of it was the likes of Marky G and M Zone were doing the circuit you know that kind of like more underground sound Mm -hmm. like European hard trance where you could get away with playing the darker B side and people would be you know more hypnotic and visit. then you come to Leeds and you had to play more the bigger hits the A side the party the hands up because it was a much more like you know kind of like more of a mainstream scene over here a cleaner scene it was more like a university crowd scene over there whereas in North Wales it was more of an underground like you know yeah, lower scene, like you know, kind of there. Like, so it kind of, I was wanting to play the same sort of style that I played, but I'd have to adapt it between the two different places yep. that I was playing.
0: Do you think you became really successful after I signed your nightmare track?
2: I always think that's such a funny track of it because a lot of people see hard style and hard house as being these like you have to be enemies and build it up, mm. and partly that might have been because of a
0: little video on YouTube. Well. Let's Shall we talk about Hardstyle? Well, your, your track, Nightmare Man, yeah. actually, I didn't see it so much as a Hardstyle track because I think Hardstyle, in my opinion, we, previously to that track, we'd had stuff like Ripped Out by Guyver and um, stuff that had got massive kick drums, almost Scott Project style. Yeah. Um, and, and if you talk to Alex Kidd, he was inspired by the sound of Tidy 2 and that sort of big Guyver, big uh, European what we call, yeah, like shock, uh, yeah, you know, big, room, link, big room, you yeah, know, trucks. the flutterling, yeah. big drum. And the kick drum was like throbbing the hell out of it. And I think um, UK Hard House really was inspired by that, the likes of that. And therefore, we got to where we are probably now through us being influenced by the big European kick and theatre of the big room. And then it just went, let's make it a bit faster let's make it a little bit more distorted you know it evolved yeah and and i strongly believe and we can have this debate that there was a point where hard style and hard house were very close like brother and sister absolutely but then like all things it 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 gets fragmented to the point it becomes its own own scene and i think that's where we're at i mean it's like
2: i think because you know obviously yourselves you know like around the 2000 thing the hard house sound was really big in holland as well and mm. stuff like it was, you know, it was really big hard house out there. Like we were saying about, you know, the likes of Tom Harding and stuff like that out there. But um, yeah, it's just kind of like a lot of DJs, like Zarni say that they listen to a lot of early hard house. But then the thing is when you listen to what we did with happy hardcore, when we were all like happy breakbeat pianos, dancing on clouds and rainbows and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the Dutch had that, that went super commercial and then also splintered off where they've always had a rougher, harder sound of dance music than we have. Yep. So it's almost like what happened to Dutch hardcore from their happy hardcore sound. It's kind of like hardstyle in a way. Is the hardcoreification? It's the Dutchification of that sound. Mm. But then, like when you listen to the roots of what they did, there was a lot of early hardstyle tracks that kind of precede the noisy stuff that you listen. That were running parallel at the same time as hard house. So even though some people would have been into some Dutch producers might have been into the UK hard house sound, but wanted to put their stamp on it, and then that evolved them into the hardstyle scene. It's not a direct path through there because there was also really early techno boy records and stuff like and you know like techno boys mm. history with the dj juice that, yeah. that was like you know him and that type of thing and then after you know he, he did that and um went on to you know kind of like he wanted to do something more underground and if you listen to a lot of those you know it's just like throbbing kick drum like you know kind of subby kick and bass yeah. and that was like the the thing of the track that that to me even though it wasn't called hard right now we reflect back on it as early hard style yeah. It didn't even have a name back then
1: no, it's like, I, you
2: know, it's like you know, revisionist history that we go and change it where
0: did Hardstyle the name come from um, you know, we, I, I don't even know one day somebody said that's Hardstyle uh, and I said really so it, nobody can put the finger on the fragmentation but now I can tell you there's a clear divide between the two in, in, in the old days you'd get a couple of Hardstyle DJs on a hard house night and vice versa and I remember playing a good grief gig in a big cattle shed somewhere Mm. And that was a turning point for me, where we realised hard house and hardstyle probably don't go together as well as they used to. Um, Alex Kidd was playing a lot of the you know the good grief element. It was in a big barn. Barry hadn't done his job properly. He'd just put a curtain between the hardcore arena and the hardstyle. Was this in North Wales? Probably Anglesey. It it smelled of shit. There was cows in the field. And what happened was, hardstyle, as you know, is a big reverby sound. Put it in a cattle shed play it very fast and we were and and people would go and then we come on and played our traditional hard house set and it sounded like we're playing ballads we had
1: we got to a point where there was quite often these gigs where because of our profile at the time we get booked obviously alongside hard style djs yeah but if you've got hard style DJ, then hard house DJ, then hard style we were sandwiched in the middle and the energy from hard Hard style to hard house, it just didn't really translate, did it? Because we're
0: close we are closer, because hard house started at 132, 134, 136. Listen to a Tony De set, he's starting at 130, he might end at 150, but most of it is in the 130s, yeah. not one forties, not one fifties. So we are probably traditional hard houses. And if you think that we would probably start with an untidy dove at one thirty-six and you've just followed, say an Alex Kidd, who's just played at one fifty-eight. Big distorted kick drum, a mad triplet thing. We come on, it's like, oh. But isn't that just bad programming? I mean, you could have yes. been, yeah. Yeah, tell us what, that's Shit the point. Promot- yeah, promoters were programming the night badly. Badly. And we were getting sandwiched. And this is where we, in our little stupid video clip, we were saying, we're turning up in Wales at sort of playing at 12 o'clock. And the DJ before us at 11 and 10 you go in there and it's going like mad at 160 and we we want to open with a with a guy track at 138 and so um we can't we shouldn't because we were headlining and the other djs weren't people have come to see the tidy boys as the tidy boys so we have to represent the sound of tidy we felt uncomfortable being sandwiched and playing early after a hard soul DJ had uh, thrapped it out at 11 o'clock and I agree bad programming but also more and more when we were even programmed well I just think that there was a clear separation and it's a bit like Andy Whitby to talk about Andy Whitby who was renowned for Hard House if you listen to what he plays now and where he plays a bit more Wigan bounce and stuff he's got a, he's formulated a different sound you know what Andy plays the the hard sound it is very different to say a BK track or a a Tin Rib track there's a massive difference now between the sounds they used to be together yeah but now they feel like they're different genres
2: but that's the thing is it's like you know if you look at um, I mean it's like like I was like one of my best friends is Jordan Suckley who's like you know a trance DJ
0: used to be hard house.
2: yeah and this is the thing that we kind of like look at it that it's like that he plays at Frantic in London more than I do now even though i'm traditionally the hard dj and frantic's traditionally a hard night and jordan's a trance dj DJ. but if you listen to the music at frantic and you listen to what i play and what jordan plays that's way more suited to it because i've evolved in one way i've taken one path jordan's taken his path and stuff and you know things like you know when you look at like we were saying before that happy hardcore and drum and bass used to go hand in hand they were always together in the 95 96 you'd have a rave and it'd always be drum and bass in one room hardcore in the other and it's like, and you never really get that anymore. And then it went through a stage of Hard House and Hardcore being together, because they really worked together. You know, as the music's and the sound, as Hard House got faster and more intense, yeah. it fitted more with Hardcore. And then as drum and bass went in its direction and you know, music's just weave and they go through the paths and things cross and things fragment and stuff. And I think that that's kind of like, it's almost like a beauty of music. I don't think we should really see it as a negative yeah, totally. focus. Well, no, level, it's not a it?
0: negative. I think what it is, and I'll be honest with you, DJ John, I think (laughs) and that's gonna stick um, I think do you know what my opinion is we're the tidy boys. please tell us Uh, um, we're the tidy boys and okay we've been around a long time and I think when we say our opinion uh, is there any music you don't like that you want to say on air now go on honestly you don't like you don't like it say it maybe country and western or something like that any dance music you don't like any dance music you 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 would not listen in the car and you'd flatly say do you know what ammo I don't like that
1: Tell not that. really I now mean there's music
2: job. there's music that I don't understand but I, I, t- I think I take a different approach to music people get quite like tribal about it and I get tribal about everything other than music where it's like if there's something like when trap came along and it was like a lot of early trap records that were poorly produced And it was like they were sampling the whole breakdown of a hardstyle track, and then when it dropped with the kick, it just dropped to like a poorly produced 808 drum. And I was like, everyone else was hating on it, and I was fascinated by it. And I didn't like it, I didn't understand it, it was weird, and I couldn't stop listening to it. And I fixated on it, and it was just like, it was bizarre to me, because it just, everything I understood about music, this was not, not working with it. And then I saw video footage from a Mad Decent block part, you know, Diplo's thing, Mad Decent, where they've got the big sound systems. And then you'd get the big breakdowns, you know, where it was like build up and build up, and there's these big intense builds, and like, then you'd expect the gong, gong, gong. And then boom, and these then you'd get everyone going, oh, you know, with the big sound system and the bass. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, yeah, context. That's what's missing. When people don't like music, it's the context that they're missing. Yes. Or there's some kind of like, like envy against it, why you have a reason why you wouldn't like it. Like, you know, kind of like, like almost like a professional jealousy with another genre
0: of music. Can I tell you why I don't like hardstyle? Please do. <laughs> and again, I'm tell, you, tell us and, again. Because you, you've brought it out to me. Like, why don't you like hardstyle? I like music because I think music causes emotion. And mo- uh, emotion is. Uh, music is a shorthand of emotion. Lovely. And lovely words. Yes. Lovely, lovely words. But I find. I can get more emotional about a techno hi-hat than I can about hardstyle. I, I tell you what, when I'm on the dance floor, in, when I was a clubber, I used to like to feel it in an emotional way. Whether it's a groove, whether it's a trance, but I find there's less... Emo- I find hardstyle, like, if I had to compare it, it's a metal pipe in the garden. You should take him. Where Now listen. You, no, listen. Trance, you should take him with you somewhere. Trance is like a fluffy animal being stroked. This is my analogy of music, right? That's a cat. Is trance like that? Techno's me tapping the table, yeah. but hardstyle is a metal pipe that's been out in the rain in the garden, oh, well, you, sticking see, you, up, and it's dangerous. But might. the thing is, with this, it's like like what you said, right? People are very different.
2: And music is emotion. People are emotionally very yeah. different. Yeah, I agree. So, so hardstyle is absolutely 100% not for you. No, it's not, John. But, but that's is. not a problem for the people that it is something for. But when somebody asks me... I agree me,
0: with I, you, John. Yeah, listen. But DJ when somebody John. asks me publicly, why don't you like hardstyle? I don't like it, it's rubbish. You What? But it maybe is, Amadeus, you don't understand that. No, no, no. This no. is what John's no, saying. Opinion. If John said, I don't like country and western and my mum loves it, I'll tell you that now, she would say, John, you're missing the point. So But that's why I'm saying is it's like
2: I never say that because it's all to do with context. Like I'm saying, like, you know, with hard. if you listen to Hardstyle in the car it's that's annoyed. not where it's supposed to be in, like, house, but to be if you go like I said if you go to like Defcon and you stand in the middle of the end show with the lights and lasers then all of a sudden the reason why the music's produced how it is is for the environment that it's played and then like you kind of hear this music out of context when you've
1: had don't to play stick up for you know, he should be the prime minister of <laughs> I mean, music no
2: no no this no, man
1: no. talks a lot of sense no look
2: but like, i understand but it's like you know do you think a lot of your negative connotations towards hard style is because that you have had to go on after it where the music that might not have worked after no,
0: it no i don't like it full stop I, you've but, made that point but, but what i'm saying is i feel as a dj that's yeah in the limelight a bit I feel it's wrong, and uh, I, other DJs say this. They're shit scared of saying their opinion of other music. So, if you came on and says, "Do you know what? I'm a, I don't like techno," I, I'm interviewing I'm, I'm, I'm DJ John, but it could be another. We could be interviewing somebody else. I get the feeling that other DJs in the industry are scared, scared. to say they don't like a certain music, and they've got every right to say, "I love it," "I hate it," "It's average." Yeah. Maybe. but I,
2: honestly though because I, sometimes I do feel like because I write the reviews for DJ Mag and when I look at it I only write about good music and then you look at the other pages and people write like bad reviews and my kind of like you know so there's like more, so more colour to the reviews and I get that it can be more interesting to read the yeah. highs and the lows but the thing is if I've only got enough space to write about 10 tracks I know every month across the, all the harder styles there's going to be at least 10 great tracks so do I want to drop one of them to write about a track that I don't like
0: Lovely I attitude. don't No but John I'm not going to read your reviews Because I know you're going to like them all So I'm not even picking the So do you not want to hear What no. the latest 10 great tracks are No If I'll just look at them And I'll look at the titles And go I bet he likes them all Oh he does But that's not the purpose of it That's though. it You're wasting your time Why don't you just Cut your day out And say Track one
1: Good Track two, very good. Track three, even better. That's well, why you why score reviews. <laughs> why would he review a track that no one's going to like? It's shit. He might it's not well,
2: even the fact that it's good like
0: recommendations. No, avoid this track at all costs. As a, in the old days, if you bought someone on huge tunes, you were sort of guaranteed of getting a good track. Yeah, but. now if I if there was a bad track come on huge no. tunes, like
1: Red Jerry signed a track that's a dud. But his job is to recommend to you the tracks you should go out and buy and listen. He's a critic. Imagine He's that. He's a critic. Yeah, but this is music. the thing: is
2: like if I got given 10 tracks to review, then I would review them evenly. Mm. But it's my job to go and find 10 tracks. Now, the 10th track on the list by some producer that's worked really hard on this track, and I think it's a great track, do I cut him off and not give him the exposure to make a point out of making an example out of somebody that's probably worked equally as hard on the track, but it's not quite there or there's like a problem with it? Is it worth publicly shaming taking that opportunity to publicly shame somebody or to publicly praise somebody
0: so it, if there was only nine tracks come through next week because there was a bit of a bit of a drought on the old scene you've got only got nine three of them are a bit wank i and you've got to put not 10 the guys on the phone we want 10 John we want 10 Yeah. are you going to say well I'm going to put them three wank ones in and say they're not very good they're underproduced and could do better or are yeah. you just going to that's you, exactly what I would do so you're getting too many tracks sent to you that's what there's, I'm saying well the
2: dance music is like infinitely disposable now and there's, that's what I'm saying
0: is. yeah that's why we've lost so, a lot of passion for it because and we're going to go on to this somebody said to me the other day why is there no anthems anymore and I said because in the old days, when you re- dance music came out, there was only 23 releases a week, and you had a record mirror dance chart, and you saw, and they were all labelled under dance music chart. There wasn't many people producing them. You had to have a lot of money to have a studio, so not everybody was making them on a laptop. So music was not, there wasn't much dance music about. On an average week, in 1993, there was probably 20 new releases in the dance industry. Now, there's 20 just gone by now Yeah. so the problem we've got is how can we whittle through 2000 bits of shit to find the anthem it kind of it I think
2: we've had this conversation before about it because I I believe like, I don't know whether it's like just me trying to have like too much of an optimistic view with it. But what you're saying about, you know, being able to play like, you know, kind of a track all the time and it's like people didn't have overexposure to it so they didn't get burnt out on it too quick. These are all like super valid points. And then there's the whole vinyl culture that went with it that gave, and there was a path to be able for an anthem to rise to be that super big track. Mm -hmm. And them opportunities have gone now just because of how things have evolved. And that's sad. But we've also got all these like wonderful, great tools like YouTube. You can build an anthem before it's even been played in a club now, and things like you know, like I think like a good example for it was uh, you won't know this, but um, Randy Zombie which was a huge hardstyle tune probably two years ago. And then it kept getting played and it got to the point that it almost got overplayed within the hardstyle scene and people, you know, kind of like moved on and Randy wrote other great tracks. And then it had another resurgence where other people in other scenes started to get onto it. And I haven't seen a track be re... Because in the digital world, you don't need to sub-license or re-release music anymore because everybody's got access to it wherever it is. That was originally on... I can't remember if it was tracks or A2. Or, uh, or No, it would have been... If it was Randy, it might have been on um, their own label that they do, um, Rough State. And, yeah, it's been re-licensed and re-released on Spinning. And now all the EDM guys are playing it. Ben Nicky's playing it in front of 10,000 people at all these big mainstream shows. And that is an anthem as much as anything was an anthem mm. back in the day. But, but it just came from a different
0: avenue. But an anthem, in my opinion, of dance music, should be first consumed when you're in the studio you're making a track for the middle of the dance floor you've you're zoned in i want this to sound great in a club and that is where an anthem should be broken now if i'm traveling to morrison's to have my lunch and i've got my headphones on and i hear that track as a youtube or a a soundcloud and i play it 15 times on the way back from morrison's a i'm bored of it by the time i get back and i don't think it's the right place for you to fall in love with the track walking to morrison's when the poor producer spent all that time to make it, due you to fall in love with it in the middle of the dance floor, probably on drugs. But this is a completely
2: different era that we live in now. Like this isn't just music, this is all media. This is TV, this is YouTube, everything's this like super high, fast turnover yeah. in, out. It's one not as good, thing, John. The next it's thing, not as good, it's John.
0: different. A good way of saying shit, <laughs> you know what it's,
2: I mean? It's like, you know, it's pros and cons. It's like, you know, people said back in the day that, you know, like, cause when I came into it, it's like I came into the industry just as vinyl was tapering out and everyone was talking about all the money that could have been made, you know, like, you know, in the vinyl days that I just missed out on. I could have, and then it's like how great it used to be back in the day when you could make all this money. But now there's like, there's an infinite possibilities with technology that's given you new ways. I mean, we wouldn't be doing this. You'd need to like have ITV commission the show. Whereas now we can just literally just good go, point, hey, John. what are you doing? on? Stop
0: agreeing with John.
2: No,
1: I do. I, I think he's very, very good. You fancy him, I think. No, I do. Um, well, I'm that was saying. one of my questions. Is John Gay? A game, few more <laughs> questions for John just let's let's stop your rant for one minute No, but with the answer, well answered by the way yeah, you should be on th- question time I think
2: it's just different it's just like you know you can it's there's things now that aren't as good as how they are before and there's things now that are much much better than they were before and it depends which one you want to look at but if I
0: went to a restaurant and I had a soup starter and I I ate it and my face went all like that and and I didn't want to offend anybody in the room I wouldn't say that soup's awful I'd say mm, that's different And I think that's what you've just said. I don't think it is. I think it is. (laughs) I think it is. I think think you should embrace change, don't fear it. No, I love change. Technology, I was the first person to shout about the iPhone. I was the first person to say about, I love technology. However, in some instances when it comes, music is quite natural it's organic and when you used to pick a vinyl sleeve up and smell it you could smell the smoke you could it'd been in a nightclub it'd been in your box you can look at that red sleeve and it brings back memories now an mp3 on your desktop means nothing to
1: nobody You've got to look forward to Amadeus. You've got to look forward and embrace this new era. No. Come on. I know you're 53, but let's move <laughs> I'm forward. I'm just saying
0: I just think that we, I agree with DJ John. There's a lot of good things that come out of technology, but I think we've lost right. a lot of stuff. You
1: find some more questions. Right. You talked to Do me about or oh, still love you, John. would you still play a hard house set or are you just now come exclusively playing? I mean, I think yourself. like
2: obviously you know because it's like I used to play a lot with you guys like in the early days when it's like yeah. so before there was this fragmentation between um like hard style and hard house. Yeah. I used to play a lot and I like to think still that I'm still kind of like the one of the hard style guys that's still kind of accepted Absolutely. Within, like not as being a thing. But you know, when I used to play like, you know, at clubs in Leeds, it's like I was like, like I was playing tidy records and along with like Uber Druck records. Yeah. And stuff. And it's like, so I never, I never, I was never that
1: hard house purist. You were. And that's why I enjoyed your sets at the Weekenders because you brought such a different dynamic. You would drop some hip hop in a breakdown, you would yeah. play some hard style. You would play some classic hard house, which is great. Yeah, and I think you know it's like with like hard house now when you listen
2: to the influences of what's coming in with, you know, other types of like you know, like tough house music. And I don't know if you listen to the yeah. bass house thing in America Absolutely. And, stuff. and it's very you know, it's it's taken that like, you know, influence from that and it's like reincarnations of it. And then you look look at what like you know Sam and Ben are doing with the tough London stuff and it's obviously it's you know it's it's a different form of it. But it's just kind of yeah. like the music like evolves with it and then like the whole like there's donks in everything again now all yeah. of a sudden out of nowhere like
0: mainstream tracks are getting donks in them yep. well Tough London uh, I work with Sam every day and uh, between me and you he just says it's hard I'll slow down yeah uh, and I agree with him
1: what have you got for uh, uh, DJ,
0: John? <laughs> I'll, I'll avoid the uh, sexuality one because I don't think it's fair but uh, just to clarify me and Andy are both straight um, John? now's your chance to say he's got
1: a girlfriend who's Polish I he's believe. got a
0: girlfriend but so Simon Cowell um, <laughs> <laughs> they've got high dance too <laughs> um, I've got a good question for you I'm just trying to find it and it was something to do with Q dance but um, um, best gig you ever played uh, it's hard to
2: say. I mean, most prestigious. I play, I've been lucky enough to play some really cool ones, like you know, like EDC in Las Vegas. Yeah. That was like you know, amazing one to play. But I still say, like you know, best gigs. I couldn't pinpoint one of them. But my favourite club ever was you know, the Arches in Glasgow. Oh god, yeah. Makes jam. me really sad that that place has gone.
0: That was a good gig though yeah Yeah. because for me
2: I think it was actually if I was going to pinpoint one moment with it um, it would be that I was I got booked to play the arches in Glasgow first time I played in Scotland so I didn't know anything about the Scottish scene compared to the English scene and I played in the north of England played down in London and stuff and I was like I I just thought I was just going to do my thing because everyone is playing similar music to me around here and I got to the club and I've never seen a club going off like that like crazy people with the tops off screaming Agnelli and Nelson were on before me playing trance and this wow. is in the vinyl days so it's no no dig through your playlist or whatever and I'm just thinking like, I don't know how crazy the Scottish are for hard music so I'm thinking what what do I play what do I play to start with it and there's, do you remember Derb Yeah, like on Trusted Tracks Yeah, and it's like Derb Attack and it's got like a, it's a real trancy mellowy break you know kind of for about two minutes at the beginning very progressive and building it's played that everyone's kind of chanting and going along and it's like and all of a sudden it kind of breaks and it's got like an early hard style riff and then it just comes in with a stomping like dun-da-dun-da-dun-da dun, 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 on the drop and the whole place went off and that was just at that moment when i was just like this is not like anything that i've experienced no. before and i was so nervous that it was going to clear it and it wasn't going to work after but it took it to the next level cuz obviously they were super into hard music there and it's you know you can play the biggest crowds and say i played to you know fifty thousand people the other night and you know and then get you know get the instagram selfie with all the people and you know it looks great and stuff like that but i don't think anything's going to beat that like that underground yes you know you were looking at your drink and it kept rippling because sweat was dripping from the roof and mm. landing in it happy days i miss it i really do miss it it's i've got some quick
0: plug. quick fire questions from the uh, audience uh because i've only just looked at the time we need two shows with with, uh, I, did, know, I was just
1: thinking we could talk all night Yeah,
0: So we, we're going to have to have some uh, quick
1: fire We need to talk about Radio 1
0: Yeah I've got a question here Only Two questions about Radio 1 One is uh, you used to do the hard, hardest track of yeah. The uh, In the history of man yeah. uh, Which was your favourite hardest track of all time Was there one particular one Moby
2: 1000 just because it was so definitive And so early
0: Right. Uh, number one said, why, uh, that was from, I did say his name, Steve Kenyon. Uh, somebody said here, why did the Radio 1 thing stop? Was it you or was it Radio 1?
2: A combination of both, really. I mean, by the end of it, I'd set up the Keeping the Rave Alive show because I wanted to be able to like brand it and you know, and run with it, whereas with the BBC thing they kind of owned it. But at the same time, is it's like you know they were you, you see the pattern with people like Fabio and Groove Rider got moved closer and closer to the door before they got the axe. So it's like as soon as I started to see that pattern happening, it was like okay, time to set up on my own. And and, and the other thing is I genuinely think that it's like digital media is like you know kind of you don't need to have a whole production right. house behind you anymore. So it's kind of a mutual.
0: Radio's yeah. dead. Um, that's what you tried to say. Um, <laughs> Natalie Walker, reverse bass or raw style? Is there such a thing yeah. as raw style? Yeah, just goes to shout I touch you Really?
2: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's yeah. like the biggest thing in Europe at the moment.
0: But yeah, for uh, yeah. I thought for you me, said earlier on that you hate pigeonhole in different yeah. categories. Yeah. All right, just to clarify.
2: Yeah. Re- reverse bass, I'm going to go with. So
0: do you like... Reverse bass? Yeah. Not are, raw style?
1: No. What, what's raw style? It's well, a really, really aggressive, aggressive dark, thing that just came hard, underground week?
0: hard
2: style.
1: Yeah, you see, we, yeah. we're retired. We're old. basically, you know, how you describe hard style—that
2: it wasn't like that when you were listening to it. Now it is.
1: Right. So we raw style listen. is Make
2: more a of a noise Must than hard to style. some
0: raw style. It's what? a
2: huge metal pole in your garden now. It's like you know, it's, it's like a kind rusty. Of rusty climbing frame at this.
0: <laughs> uh, Chris Trips Jared said Kutsky, what's your favourite video game of all time? Mm. Difficult one. You probably got a couple.
1: Let's go quick. Golden Axe. Golden Axe. Uh, Just you've got one. Um, Are you playing Fortnite? No. See my son, who's fifteen, you know, on there with his mates. Don't understand. I'm I'm too old now. Just running around the field, dressed as a a rabbit, killing stuff. Don't understand it. Uh, What what's what's it called? Fortnite. (laughs) Fortnite. Fortnite. Yeah. I don't know.
0: Um, Can Kutsky do a a dedicated show to the history of UK hard house, like he did the UK hard dance specials years ago? It'd be an interesting thing to do. That was. Uh,
1: I think you guys would be uh, more Rachel, qualified to do it than me, though. Rachel well, Hamm. we've got an idea on that, and uh, so uh, there is so much quality hard house when you dig right back. We have played a few vinyl sets recently, and when you go back into the box and you find all that real good quality early Dutch and, and UK yeah. hard house, you're all, you're, re, you're almost reborn with it again. Yeah. So there's a show idea we've got, which is back in the box kind of idea. And
0: that's why you know you said you'd never play vinyl again. I think the advantage of playing vinyl again is rediscovering the B-side, rediscovering the EP and that third track that was a bit weird. And when you get, when we have to play a, a, a vinyl set, we get more excited because it is not looking, scrolling through a USB in alphabetical order. It's all of a sudden, oh, do you remember that? And do you, there is a lot more magic from
1: we're Shit. not as clever as you I though. was going to ten- say but do you, ten- rem-
2: do
0: you remember the needle skipping and the oh, yeah, carrying the record boxes that yeah. Yeah. So that's when it used to but, be, yeah. be talented rather than having a laptop and watching a timeline <laughs> mention- however mentioning no names that is about your ability to use the technology to create some do but I've seen examples. some people press I've seen a DJ very big DJ I'm not going to mention his name I know he plays trance I've seen another engineer who set up the lights in his decks set up his playlist big name not going to mention him and uh, his manager pressed that, and for 90 minutes, this person watched the timeline of the tracks that he'd like to play in the right order and did that. Wrong or right?
2: You see, wrong, but. As somebody that prided themselves on being a technical DJ, I still think 99% of what makes you a good DJ is track selection. And I th- like, obviously, so track selection goes out the window when you're playing a premix thing. So if it's not working, what you do? Exactly. is trouble. Exactly. Yeah. But if you can, even if you're not mixing tracks, if you, you just like somehow get in the transition so it's not jarring for people on the dance floor, if you find a way to just, like say you've made edits, so they start and end where you can just start and stop one track, but you're playing the right tracks and taking them on the right journey. I think the track selection is more important than any of the technical aspects of it so or the medium.
0: So what you're saying is anybody who puts together a good Spotify playlist can be a DJ. That's exactly what I'm saying, right. to be fair. So. Anybody can be a DJ, which is good and
1: bad, because obviously
0: you get the time.
2: But then the cup. thing is, is, it's reading the dance floor and playing the right that, tracks that, at the right, right is, time that's and what discovering that's music. What Whether you're are a mobile
1: well, DJ or a club DJ, it's the right track at the right yeah. time with the right audience, yeah. creating the night, building the night. The fact that you're beat mixing, you know, I don't well, think... Like what pop, are saying? Yeah. It's out the window? We're it's out the window... But I think as well, all
2: tracks in most genres of music now they're all written at the same BPM. All you have to do is be able to count to for and press the button. So at that point, you know when everyone gets their knickers in a twist about sync, and it's kind of like, do you use a spell check?
0: Yeah, I don't. But that's a different story. But I always think when you got the vinyl, on, that what somebody says, why do you love DJing? And it used to be the danger of it skipping. The wow, I've never played these two tracks together. They're in key those sort of feelings and the magic of dropping the right track at the right time whereas if somebody's rehearsed it a hundred mentioning no names a hundred and fifty times and they know exactly what they're playing at that time it's never going to go out of sync where is the enjoyment for the DJ? Where is the danger? Where's his £2,050 plus VAT fee coming from? That he sat in his green dressing gown all week doing a playlist that went down well?
2: Hmm
0: I don't really agree. He has no answer to that. No, because
2: it's, like, it's, it it's like mixing records. It's not that hard to do. So it's like, so what's more important to be able it to play us. records? You know, and then the thing is, oh, you know, where's the enjoyment for the DJ? Well, you know, the DJ should be enjoying what they do regardless, but it's like they're not being paid to enjoy themselves. They're being paid to make other people enjoy themselves. And if they can do that, it doesn't really matter how they can do it. I think
0: a DJ has to enjoy himself because the front row, get off unless you're pretending to enjoy yourself, of course, I think the front row and the crowd get off knowing that that DJ is enjoying what he's playing and enjoying, enjoying the moment. I see too many DJs that travel the world, play week in, week out, five gigs a week, and they're on autopilot, and therefore they don't look like they're enjoying it and they're being overpaid. But I always
2: think it's like, what's, what's it called? You know, when you take uh, an argument and you move it to the extreme with it, it's like, is Paris Hilton, you know, like everybody unanimously, oh, Paris Hilton is a DJ, everyone hates it. But then if you fundamentally boil down what a DJ is there to do, could Paris Hilton be one of the best DJs in the world? And nobody wants to kind of like have this conversation, but it's like, as a promoter, like, you know, kind of we've both like run events, when you're booking DJs, you're not only booking them because they're mixing skills, you're booking them because they do good numbers. You're booking people that are gonna, you know, put bums on seats. And then the DJ that's there should be able to entertain the crowd. And then no matter how much that DJ gets paid, if you're the promoter, you want to earn more money, you know, so high relative. ticket sales and stuff. And people Bums don't like seats. to talk about, you know, kind of like the business aspects of it. But the reality of it is, is you don't get to have any event unless it's, you know, kind of at least yeah, self-sustainable. Yeah, so, you certainly. know, kind of like with stuff like that. So it, on the fact that it's like, if Paris Hilton gets booked to DJ, she does it, she sells out a venue, the promoter makes money. Everybody that's there knows what they're getting from her. They have a great time and she's very entertaining and she's got her thing that she does getting on the microphone, talking to 100%. people, playing the music. It's like, is that not
1: a good DJ? well yeah I'd agree with you I mean the thing but that, that, that not, makes... all, not all
2: actors are the same you right. know kind of like you know Jim Kerry you can't compare well maybe now more. you know what I mean like somebody that's really good at doing one type of thing versus somebody that's two different ends of the spectrum nobody that wants to go to a minimal techno night is even thinking about going to a Paris Hilton club and somebody that wants to go to a Paris Hilton club watches the Kardashians she doesn't want to go to a like really underground techno club she's not going to have a fun night there but if a techno club books a DJ that's really good at mixing but they get 50 people in there,
0: oh, yeah, as a promoter, it's, you know, kind it? of it's, 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 it's all it's, relative, John. it's all
2: relative, but nobody wants to ever really have that thing because it's too easy to sit around and go, Oh, Paris Hilton, she's not a real. I've DJ. never
0: slagged Paris Hilton off, I must uh put that onto record. So, what you're saying is if we book Paul Chuckle, uh, and he entertains a crowd as a DJ, that's because he does that now, now his uh, now Barry's gone, yeah, um, that's a good thing, yeah,
1: well, it, it's. If people want to see Paul Chuckle DJ, they'll go through the door and they'll pay their money. And if, they, and if he's got an entertaining act like that, sort of like a, like when I was talking about extreme music, a
2: guy called Shitmat from the UK that plays all these weird, bizarre like, mashups and everything and it's like, and he's like, he's got his pants off, he's got toilet roll wrapped around his head, he's shouting down the microphone and it's like, well, the first time I saw him I was like, what is this? Because I thought it was going to be like a Gabba DJ. And it was like, <laughs> but it was like, it's almost like this performance art piece Massive cult following for you know, the people that like, went to see him and understood what it was. That's not for everyone. That's never going to sell out the main stage of EDC. But that's his thing that he does. He, yeah.
0: sh- he shit on a mat. His name is Shit Matt. And he doesn't shit on a mat.
2: I haven't seen him shit, but I, uh, it's very possible he
0: could have Because if he done does, he shot. stole one of our ideas. And we had that a long time ago. Didn't catch on, but it was good. Right, I think we're coming to a close. If you've got any questions, because you like well, him. I yeah, know you like John him. John may have questions Is it just because us? he's a Leeds United fan?
1: No, I think he's presented himself very well. He's very (sighs) diplomatic. I mean, you're a, you know, a cantankerous old git nowadays. And I think John has managed this conversation very, very well. No, he has done well. Very well. uh, Is there anything you'd like to probe the Tidy Boys on? Yeah. John, i mean challenges this is the thing it's
2: like you know kind of like we do like joke about and play both sides of the coin very well but it's kind of like i know that it's like you're like that things used to be better in aspects previously but at the same time is you're doing things like this which is super forward thinking Mm. so like where do you feel about like how the industry is going and how it's moving forward you know like there's it's all social media now social media driven you know if your social media skills are better than your production skills that will get you further in the game now. I think that's pretty much undeniable. And, you know, and and it's kind of like you can complain about these things or you can, can kind of adapt to keep your values and also play the game to a certain extent. Well, I'd so, like
0: to think that we... Sorry, Andy. I'd like to think that we played the social media game before social media because the, we had Tidy TV in 2001. We were doing this before social media. But I agree. I heard a story about... Uh, is it Don Diablo? Uh, is it... A, a the DJ? house guy. Yeah. yeah. Yep. He now, when he turns up to gigs, he has a drone above him filming him getting out of the car going to the gig just so he can get a nice edit for Instagram. That is that too far? But then it goes back to your argument. Well, if Tom Diablo's doing some great Instagrams, he's bringing the crowd in, he's doing the thing See, wrong. I think
2: it's good. It's interesting. Yeah. It's cool yeah. to look at. Like, you know, it doesn't mean everyone has to do it. And then, the, you know, the purest people, there's, there's, there's enough out there for everybody and stuff. But it's like, you know, I think that you guys have, like you said, you know, with the tidy TV stuff and, you know, and the weekenders and everything that you've done, it's, you know, with the record label, you know, kind of like, you know, back in the 90s and that, it was always like. A, you know as much as you kind of joke about oh it was better back then you've always had your finger on the pulse mm. with things like this that you're doing so it's kind of like I'd just rather than you know obviously like you you'd play, like to be me I more want, forth, I thank would you. like you to be positive and tell us why all this sort of stuff is great rather yeah,
0: like than being negative person. about yeah. that that's why I yeah. like what this man's saying no, just yeah. to finish on that other about the positivity I think life if it's all yellow and bright and positive there's something wrong with you and if there's something I disagree it, with you no, listen, completely, I mean, completely completely it, if you're it. all black And grey, there's something wrong with you. But if you're a colourful palette, a mixture of yellow, red, blue, black, then I think you're a rounded person. And I think anybody who gets up every day smiling and thinking life's great, it's wrong. You should have shit days. You should be depressed, happy. You should have all these emotions. So false positivity on the internet is my biggest bug. You know, people that get up and say, I'm loving it today, look at me meal. I can't wait to go to bed, life's great, brilliant. But that's a different thing. Yeah. how people.
1: Yeah. communicate their beautiful lives on on social media is a complete But that
0: big. that annoys me because I know really that's yeah. probably a lie. But what I'm saying is going back to the argument, I think life is colorful, like a good set and it should be variety. So tomorrow if you get up with a bad headache and you feel pissed off, say it. Don't be don't say I'm still happy. Don't try and grin through. Where do we get to this? <laughs> How do we get to positive? Yeah, I mean see, like yeah, you? I mean just
2: like think cuz I think social media is like an interesting thing, but if I woke up with a bad headache that was terrible and I felt like shit, but also, my track's doing really well on Beatport. Which one do I tweet about? Exactly. That's
0: my point with it. Exactly. Like do you level. know what I'd say? My track's doing brilliant on Beatport. It's a shame I've got a fucking headache. <laughs> That's what I do. And yeah. it's a mixture yeah. of That's both. Just that, yeah. but I, I, am, I am light and shade. Yeah. Whereas some people are bright yellow. But the only thing I'll go back to, I'm forward thinking. I love technology. Tidy Tracks had a, a website and a, so, a social media in 1996 before anybody else. We have broke new ground. But the one thing that I'll never be changed on is... A nice piece of vinyl in the hand beats an MP3 on the desktop.
1: And what a lovely way to end the show. I think anything? what John's saying is we're innovators. Yes, we yep. were. So look forward, be positive <laughs> And keep <laughs> and innovating. And keep innovating. Oh, and yeah. that's, to be fair, where we're heading with things like this. And we've got a lovely idea with the Tidy Boys big night in, yeah. doing things differently. To be honest, I didn't get much sleep last night. <laughs> and I'm in a bit of bad mood. John we thank you for coming in No thanks for having me It's been great fun. That's been uh, a very good debate I think we need John back Because there is a lot to talk about and, uh, There could be a series Yeah yep. But this man is knowledgeable he knows his shit doesn't he
0: I think uh, the Tidy Boys and DJ John could be a new series Yeah, I like it but thank you for travelling all the way no thanks
1: thanks for having me in it's
0: like yeah I listen to a lot of podcasts all the time you know in the car when
2: I'm driving and stuff and it's like when you know you were telling me about what you were doing with this show it's like I've thought for ages that it's like you know I like listening to people talk about
0: the things that interest me and it's, and then, it's there's, interesting there's plenty of music shows yep. to listen to you've got great music yep. there's loads of music so we thought there was a gap in the market to just thrash through talking about music yeah. and
1: maybe you should as I've done listen to Keep the Rave Live the latest version yep. and just get your head around some of this I hard will. style next time we meet I'll be
0: going yes I love raw things raw style raw, raw style, style. Rusted. No more no more rusty pipes in the garden. No, that's brilliant. Rusty pipe could be a new sound, a new scene. <laughs> right, well, who's going to be our next guest? We don't know. Thank you for joining us, John. It could be a film star. It could be a big international DJ. could be your brother. Could be. But uh, we'll be back next time for more uh, Eat, Sleep, Talk, Repeat. What's that? Subscribe. Oh, uh, I've just been told by the bloke behind the camera, if you don't subscribe, you're going to get your leg chopped off. Yes, please subscribe to the podcast. Thank All you. All the best. Please do. Thanks. Bye-bye.